From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The swamp may not have been as boisterous as it normally would have been in a home opener, but over 15,000 Gator fans and many cardboard friends were treated to a 38-24 win over Will Muschamp and the South Carolina Gamecocks. Now, in this SEC grinder of a schedule, they head back on the road as far west as you can possibly go in the conference, making their second ever trip to Aggieland. On today's show, We'll talk to wide receiver Trent Whittemore about scoring his first career touchdown in the stadium he spent nearly every weekend in growing up in Gainesville. Then, FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter joins us to recap the South Carolina game and look ahead to Texas A&M. And finally, we'll hear from one of baseball's recent stars, Dane Dunning, about getting called up to the bigs and pitching in the playoffs as a rookie. But first, for many athletes, loyalty to a school often comes only after you've gotten on campus and suited up for the first time. For a select few, it affirms a lifelong allegiance. That was the case for redshirt freshman Trent Whittemore, a Gator legacy who grew up in Gainesville bleeding orange and blue. Already off to a quick start in a young and deep receiving core, we began our chat with Trent by going back to the beginning of his very local story. Uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up a huge Gator fan. My, my mom uh, played volleyball here for Mary Wise uh, in, the, in the 90s. Um, my dad actually played football at UCF, uh, so so there's some Knights in the family as well. Uh, but, yeah, I was a huge Gator fan. I also have, you know, previous family before that, grandparents, great-grandparents who, who came here. So um, it was definitely, you know, Gator game day on a Saturday in the fall for my family. Uh, you know, waking up, reading the paper, listening to Mick Huber, all that good stuff. You know, all, all the stuff that the little – little kid Gator fans do. That was me. So uh, that, that's what it was like growing up for me, man. Just Gators were my team. Uh, I remember, you know, the big wins, the national championship wins, the, mm-hmm. the SEC championship wins. I remember going back to back in basketball, you know, all that stuff. So that's what it was like for me. When did you start competing? I know, I know your dad was your coach and you got started early, but and you have a very athletic family. When, when was your first foray into competition yourself? Uh, I mean, I, I, I grew up playing uh, basketball and flag football, baseball, all that stuff. Um, and then uh, in middle school, I, I was playing uh, basketball and football. I would say I was playing a lot of basketball in middle school. And then once I got to high school, I kind of decided to focus on football. I started to, to really enjoy the sport a lot more. So I'd say, you know, my freshman year of football was the first, you know, real, real competition that I ever had. What was it that, that drew you more to football? Because I know people probably seen your, the 360 dunk you threw down in basketball this spring. So you could obviously do that too. Why, why was football the bigger draw? Uh, I think um, it's just kind of kind of a family thing, honestly. Uh, my dad was coaching me in high school. That was such a cool experience. Uh, just a blessing to have to have him as my coach. And I was playing with my, my older brother, who's now at Troy. So um, that was just super cool. And I just think, yeah, I had had my brother uh, end up going to play in college. I had a cousin who's my age, uh, Christian Singleton. Uh, he, he went on to play at Western Michigan. And it, we were all just kind of it was just a family thing, you know. Everybody was going to play football, so I, I decided I want to do that too. Mm-hmm. Now, what was the competition like with your brother? Because I know you could have that that older brother, little brother thing, and if you're both competing at a high level in football, I would guess that was kind of a thing as well. 
Yeah, I mean, we had a ton of competition, especially growing up, like when we were younger, just like playing one-on-one basketball and, mm-hmm. and ping pong and a whole bunch of other stuff. But uh, I would say in high school, man, it was it was just so cool to, to play alongside each other, honestly. Like, those are some of my best memories to this day, you know. I'm sure I'll, I'll have some great memories w- with teammates, you know, playing here at Florida, but I don't know if they could be, you know, uh, Friday night alongside your brother, you know, in, in a big city rivalry or something like that, man. Those are my Those are my favorite memories for sure. So when you guys would go head-to-head growing up, who won most of those or did it depend what sport like did you beat him in ping pong but he had your number in basketball how did that work he he was good at ping pong i will say that he was really good <laughs> at ping pong but um later like when we got older i could beat him in basketball pretty pretty good but uh he was like he was like outright faster than i was so he could beat me in a race stuff like that he he still had his his things that he's better at than me and he still does did the did the power dynamic change at all? I know some some brothers. It's like when they're a certain age, it's one way, and then as you both get older, maybe you surpass him. Did did it flip at any point? Uh, I mean, basketball wise, maybe there was a little flip um, okay. between me and him. But but the other stuff, man. Now nah, he was he was the man in high school. I mean, he was super productive on the field, and uh, yeah, he was the man. Like I said, he had he had really really surprising speed, and and he was the man. So I'll give him credit there. <laughs> In terms of, you know, especially in football, having your dad coach you pretty much your entire life, what were what were the advantages to that? But were there challenges as well? Was it kind of both sides in a way? Yeah, it was both sides. I mean, I say overall, I would do it again. You know, I really enjoyed it. But um, I say advantages is like, you know, having a guy who, who's going to listen to you. I mean, he's going to listen to his son at home when, when I got a little idea about Hey, Dad, let, let's try this this week or something like that. Right. I mean, obviously, I got the inside on, on stuff <laughs> like that. But uh, there was disadvantages, too, you know, like uh, just getting yelled a lot, <laughs> yelled at a lot. Uh, he, I mean, he, he put uh, just uh, – I'm not going to call it pressure. It wasn't pressure. It was just mm-hmm. maybe some expectations. Uh, but those were good things and things that pushed me um, in the end and nothing that I regret at all. So i say overall it was a very positive experience. Hmm. You talked earlier about going to the Swamp as a kid and just being a huge Gator fan. Do you remember your first game in the Swamp or, like, the first big moment you can remember being at in person? Um, I remember my freshman year of high school. I was I was here when we, beat, we like, thrashed Ole Miss at home. Mm-hmm. Whenever Will Greer threw for, like, however many yards in the first half. I don't know. I'm sure you remember that, too. 2015. 2015. 2015. That was, yeah, I was here and that was, that was super cool. I was with one of my like middle school buddies. His name was Kevin Kinsman. We were going crazy. So that was my first like big memory, I would say. So in terms of guys you looked up to growing up, I mean, which Gators are your, who's on your Gator Mount Rushmore when you think about it? Um, I was a huge Percy guy growing up. Huge mm-hmm. Percy guy. Uh, obviously Tim Tebow's a man, um, really admire his faith. Like just the way he stayed true to the Lord uh, is even more impressive than than uh, his his college career, which is like honestly, you could argue he's the best college player ever, honestly, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the way he's he just stayed true to his faith, so I got to put him way up there. And then um, I was a huge Corey Brewer guy, basketball wise, mm-hmm. huge yeah. Corey Brewer guy. Nick Calatis was the man. I was a huge Brad Beal guy too. Wish he'd stayed a little longer. Could have used an extra year or two from him. Yeah, I think I think we would have won a natty with that one. Yeah. Um, I mean, is it, you know, hearing you talk about all these guys that you watch growing up, it's always cool when it's someone who gets to play for the University of Florida who really reveres those people. I mean, do you find it different for you than maybe your teammates who didn't grow up with 
with that that mindset that you had that almost like pinch me moment of look at what what I get to do right now uh yeah maybe a little bit but I don't know you know like at the end of the day once we're we're here at the University of Florida you know it's I think it's more about the work that we put in you know in the here and now I mean uh I think what makes the what makes it special on the field is uh, guys have worked so hard you know what I'm saying and yeah and I think maybe it maybe it's a little different for me but overall like this is special to everybody to go play in front of what's usually, you know, 90,000 and, right. and make plays like that's that's special for everybody, especially just knowing, you know, the hard work that everybody put in to get here. In terms of your, your playing career, you played safety, corner, wide receiver, and you were a QB at Buholtz. How did you balance all those roles? I'm assuming you didn't play all of them at the same time, or maybe you did. I don't know. Uh, no, not not at the same time, but it was a great experience, man, just like playing football, you know what I mean? In high school, like, mm-hmm. there's no need to worry about all the technical stuff. It's just go out there on Friday night and win. So um, I, I don't really look back on that and, like, even think much about it. I just remember, you know, like, the big wins and, and the big moments. Uh, so, like, I, I really enjoyed playing all those positions in high school and just kind of being out there on the field. I think, uh, in, like, in the end, I was better for it as a player. It's funny, when I talk to a lot of your teammates about the recruiting process, it's sort of the usual suspects, right? A lot of them were looked at by Florida State, Miami, Alabama, Georgia, you name it. Your situation was really interesting in that you were recruited by Army and Yale, which is, is pretty unique. So I'm curious, starting with, with Army, what was that recruiting process like when it came to that opportunity? Uh, yeah, I think that was like one of my first couple offers, if I remember correctly. Um, something that... I don't know. I looked into a little bit. I, I had like Air Force as well, I think. Um, and then, um, but like I, I, I was pretty set on going to a regular, you know, four-year university. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely a, a cool opportunity. Uh, it's just kind of like a, a moment where you kind of like sit back, you know, like just because there's a lot of respect for, for sure. guys who do that. And of course the, the armed forces. So, and then as far as Yale goes, um, that was another just kind of cool opportunity. Something that I guess crossed my mind um something that my brother had really looked into but ended up not doing so um yeah just a really cool opportunity but decided that it wasn't really for me so when you made the decision to stay home and come to florida i'm curious now you know a few years removed from that is it what you expected it would be or how is it differed from what you anticipated staying so close to home um i would say i don't know i don't I guess I didn't really know exactly what to expect. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's been it's been cool to be home. Um, you know, I live not at the house. I live with some other guys on the team. I live with Griffin McDowell, Evan McPherson, Marco Ortiz, uh, just really great guys who I've become super tight with. So that's been super cool. Um, but it is cool to have my family at every home game, mm-hmm. um, be able to celebrate with them, you know, on the weekend, uh, stuff like that. I think that's that's a huge blessing. And, I say overall, it's been a, a positive experience um, being, you know, just still here in Gainesville. It's, it's been fun. When you came in, you had the chance to redshirt and learn from a lot of really talented and experienced receivers. Which yeah. guys from that group were most instrumental last year in, in helping you develop? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because I sat behind Van and Tyree last year on the outside, actually. Mm-hmm. And then I, I'm, I'm playing inside right now. So uh, I'm playing, you know, what, what Josh and Freddie were playing last year. Mm-hmm. So I think, honestly, like, I can really say that I've learned from all those guys. Uh, just Dan, uh, especially on the outside last year, was just uh, just unbelievable to watch, especially how he practiced, you know. Uh, obviously, he's a second-round pick, so 
other people were seeing this as well. I mean, he's just one of the best route runners I've ever been around. And then Tyree was just ferocious, uh, just bringing it every day. You know what I mean? Sometimes you come from high school and it's like you're kind of the guy, but here, you know, everybody was a guy in high school. So right. uh, just to see like how, how he brought that intensity every day. And then uh, Jay Ham and Freddie, even though I wasn't like directly behind them last year, I just got to watch so much and um, just how they, they read coverages and just uh, kept an even head in the game. When, when everything's flying around, you know, they're still making the right read every single time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that was just the biggest thing, like just keeping that steady head amongst a lot of craziness uh, to play well. It's funny, we talked earlier about playing for your dad and sort of having a, a different coach for the first time when you started working with Coach Mullen. Um, what, what was that like when you started having someone someone else was the one calling the shots and, and not your dad? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I love playing for my dad, so uh, that was so much fun. But, I mean, I was used to being coached by other people as well. I played, like, a ton of basketball in my life where I was coached by, by other people and pretty, like, harsh guys, I guess you would say. <laughs> So in what ways now does your dad still help you? Like, what, what do you review games with him? Does he give you some feedback afterward? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll ask his opinion, you know, if he maybe comes and watches a scrimmage or something like that. I mean, he's a busy guy. He's, he's coaching the Beals Bobcats. So, That's right. <laughs> uh, big win versus Swanee on Friday night, by the way. Huge win. But um, he'll just kind of tell me what he thinks. I mean, he was a great receiver himself at UCF mm-hmm. and then uh, was a free agent with the Dolphins and spent a sh- – a short little stint in Canada, so he knows what he's talking about for sure. So yeah, I just ask, you know, hey, what do you think about such and such, such and such route? And uh, he always has good advice. I got some questions about your time during the pandemic. We're asking everybody this this year. Okay. Uh, first question for you: favorite new show that you discovered during the pandemic? New show? Okay. Yeah, I was, I was, I was watching some shows. Um, I'll say Outer Banks was like it was childish, but man, it was fire. I'm not gonna lie, I can't. I don't know what's I don't know Outer Banks. What's that? It was a Netflix uh, original, I think. I don't know. It was made by Netflix. It huh. came out in like uh, like April or May. So an early like an early pandemic show. That was early pandemic, yeah. And then let's see what else. Um, I watched Man in the High Castle a little bit. I actually, I've never seen it, but it looks interesting. It was it was interesting. I'm kind of into history, so that that had my attention a little bit. It's like a yeah, it's like what if the Nazis would have won right. World War Two, basically, and like yeah, it was interesting, but it was kind of slow moving. I would say Outer Banks takes the cake, but there was definitely some others like Man in the High Castle, and yeah, I, I watched some other stuff too. What about a new movie you discovered during the pandemic? Uh oh, Twelve Strong. I don't know if you've hmm. seen that. Haven't seen it. I've, it's on my list. It's really good. It's uh, kind of an untold story of the first boots on the ground in Afghanistan after 9/11. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll move that higher up my list now that I've got a, yes. I've got a personal rec for it. It's it's honestly like I didn't know that was a true story, but after you watch the movie, you'll have a like it should be higher on our list of like terrific American accomplishments. Then I'll dive into Wikipedia afterwards. I'll find out what's real, what they, what's maybe a little bit, a little yeah, fictionalized. Maybe a little stretched. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, most ambitious meal you attempted to cook at home during a quarantine? Me and my brother tried to fry some chicken last uh, one night. My older brother, and it just didn't go well at all. Like at all. Like how badly did it go? Was there grease everywhere? <laughs> there was grease everywhere. That that was the that was the worst part. Like I had some. Maybe like second degree burns on my elbow. Like it was, oh, wow. it was I mean, I'm exaggerating, but um, 
it was it was rough. Yeah, it, it did not go well at all. Did you did you learn from that, or is is frying just off the table going forward? I mean, it's still on the table. I, I've done it since, so I'll say that like I learned from it, but I wouldn't call myself like a cooking professional. <laughs> Uh, you talked about the guys that you live with, how much time you spend together. I'm curious if there was one or two teammates that you could not have been with the entire time, who could you have least managed to spend three or four months locked in one place with? Um, my boy Luke Matthews, who's also from Gainesville. I know he was probably losing his mind. He's, <laughs> he's, got, a little, he's got a little ADD going on, so like I'm sure he was losing his mind a little bit. I, still, I spent some time with him, obviously, because we were both around. So we would like try to golf or something together. But yeah, I know my boy was, was losing his mind, like not being able to do anything. Yeah. Some people can't handle it. You know, some people are yeah. great. Some people like they can't do it. Um, you mentioned a couple of things there, but I'm curious when you do have time away from football, I know there's not a lot of it, but when you have that opportunity, what do you like to do? Um, I spent like quite a bit of time uh, fishing during quarantine. Like I like to to fish and just relax and hunt when I get the chance. It's, it's really hard because we like to duck hunt, but during duck season, that's like bowl season for us. So, you know, it's hard to, to get the opportunity to do it. But I really like to like be outdoors and just enjoy God's creation and kind of just be quiet, um, pray a little bit, hunt, fish. Uh, I just, I really enjoy that. So this past weekend, you were playing in the swamp for the first time this year. You, if anyone knows what the swamp is like on a normal Saturday, yeah. what was it like playing in that type of environment, and, and how weird did it feel in the moment when you were when you were playing? Um, yeah, it was definitely a little weird, but at the same time, we had just been at Ole Miss and like been in a similar like like noise level type of environment. So you're kind of getting used to like making a big play and hearing like applause, but not like a roar, you know? Right. So, um, but I, you know, I still know like, Hey, my family's here, stuff like that. Um, so it's still, it's still awesome, but yeah, it's, it's just different. I mean, you just have to kind of accept the fact that, Hey, there's not that many people here, but we're still playing a game. So, um, I'm sure you've thought about scoring a touchdown in the swamp a million times growing up and you played that moment in your head. What was the reality of it? Like, can you take us through that, that experience? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess I, I haven't really thought about that. I guess I did used to play it through my head when I was little, um, yeah, it was it was really cool. Uh, I mean, it ended up being like kind of wide open. Great play call, great execution by uh, by Justin Shorter and, and Kyle Trask. Uh, I almost dropped it actually, which kind of freaked <laughs> me out, but uh, held on to it. And then you know, just to celebrate with my teammates. Uh, like I said, like guys who I've been here with for you know, let's see how long have I been here? Like a year and a half, more than that maybe. Mm-hmm. So. Um, just to celebrate with those guys is like, it's so cool. You know what I mean? Like guys that, like I said, like when you, you know, put in the work with these guys, like when you get a reward like that, like a score or a win, you know, it just feels so good. You talked about the period of time you've been at UF. That's also about the time we've seen Kyle Trask take off and become who he is now. Um, You've seen his progression firsthand. You've worked with him, and you've also played quarterback yourself. So I'm curious Mm -hmm. what you've seen that's allowed him to be so successful what do you see when you look at him as a quarterback honestly like he's just terrific man in so many aspects um i feel like he just he just sees the field so well you know like uh just he just knows where he's going with the football you know uh in in almost every situation he recognizes pressure before it happens uh you know makes makes checks at the line that that help the receivers out just tremendously you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. he's the guy who's who's making all that help and he's a guy who's who's checking the protection to help the line out, to help himself out. And then when he does get pressure, he always knows where his outlet 
is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just say that's the one thing, like, man, when you're playing quarterback, like, knowing where you're going with the ball next. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, this isn't open, but, like, what's my next? What's my next option? What's my next option? And being able to transition and then be accurate and deliver the ball, I mean, that's so difficult to do, but he does it, you know, almost to perfection. So it's just so impressive. When you look at the numbers you guys are putting up, and there's people saying that this could be that you could be LSU from last year with the way you guys are putting up points. Wh- like, what is working so well for this offense, and why does it seem, in some ways, so easy for you guys to score almost at will? Uh, first off, it's just a, I mean, a testament to guys' hard work. You know what I mean? Uh, working in the off season uh, to become those guys that are scoring. You know what I mean? Mm. And then, and then, secondly, we come in every week with a great game plan. Uh, that they, has guys open and then you know lastly it's just focusing on, on every play something that coach Savage talks about you know like let's just take this thing play at a time try to dominate every play uh, the guy in front of you and and we've been able to to do that at a decent little clip uh, so far to begin the year and, and when we do that um, yeah we've been able to put up some some big numbers and we hope to keep that going. Uh, in terms of preparation and just the rhythm of the season has it felt different having only SEC games to play, like you're going from week one, you're in the SEC, and there's no break from that. I mean, has that been different at all from what you remember last season? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely different. It's very tough. You know, there's no, uh, like, kind of easier game in the middle right. of of maybe, like, a five-game conference stretch. It's just every week, you know, you're playing, like, really highly talented guys and, and teams that aren't just going to roll over, you know what I mean? Like. Right. I mean, you, you punch them in the mouth and they throw a punch back. So um, I think that's the biggest thing is like, man, we got to bring our best every week or else, or else you could get beat, you know, not just once, but two weeks in a row, three weeks in a row. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how much talent is in this conference. And, you know, everybody uh, can get it done on any given week. So it's definitely tough. As a result of this strange year, you guys are going to Texas A&M, who you weren't even supposed to play this season at all. Uh, what are your expectations for going there? The program hasn't been there very often ever. It's notoriously a difficult place to play when it's full. But, you know, in, in terms of what you've seen from this A&M team and what your expectations are, you know, where are you at in that sense? Yeah, I mean, first off, just for them as a team, like, I think they're super talented. Uh, got a lot of length in the secondary. Uh, you know, that's the guys that, that the receiver core have been watching, obviously. And, um, yeah, they're just all the way, you know, all the way around. They recruit super well. So, you know, they're going to have guys, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I know they were, like, tied with Bam in the second quarter last week. And then it, maybe it got away from a little bit. But, obviously, you know, they're a good team for sure. And, and as far as going to, to A&M, I think it'll be cool. As a college football fan growing up, always a place that I would, like, think about playing at uh you know there won't be fans as many fans but it'll still be challenging maybe it'll have some cutouts to fill in the gap for you it'll feel more real with the <laughs> what yeah. what were the what were the was it weird seeing the cutouts during the game did you were there any points yeah. you noticed like wait that's not really a person <laughs> yeah it was a little weird especially like looking up because like in the student section you're like okay there's some real people right there but like next to them that's not a real person. And then someone's like holding up a poster and you're like, is someone holding that up or is it a cutout? Like what's going on? Is this person actually a cutout? And I thought it was real. Yeah. Person. Is there a real person behind that poster? Or right. Is that just a poster? Right. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully uh, A&M doesn't have too many cutouts to confuse you and it's a good trip there. Uh, Trent, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on scoring your first touchdown in the swamp and we look forward to many more. Thank you. In a two-game sample size, one conclusion about the Gators has become pretty clear. They can score points. Lots of points. In their win over South Carolina, it looked likely they would blow past 50 for a second straight week. 
though the Gamecocks' ball control approach prevented that from happening. To open up our chat with Scott Carter, we asked for his other takeaways from the Gators' latest performance. When I looked at the game, Adam, I mean, I kind of saw a couple of things stick out to me. I mean, I thought Florida, they're, you know, there's been some perception that maybe the defense didn't play well, but I kind of say that's baloney because South Carolina ran 83 plays, Florida ran 53. And guess what? The Gators still had more yards. Hmm. They only gave up four yards of play. So Todd Grantham said anytime he would go ahead and sign up to take the defense averaging, giving up four yards of play before any game. So, so it was just a matter of, a couple of things. First of all, South Carolina dominated the time of possession. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought the fourth quarter drive was just illustrative of the whole game, at least the lasting impressions a lot of people had when South Carolina kept the ball, I think, seven, eight minutes, drove down to Florida's four-yard line, didn't score. Uh, the Gators, I think, offensively, I think is where Mullins maybe frustration rested because they started so clean and, you know, a couple turnovers they certainly didn't want. Uh, that one fumble on a read option by Trask, that one wasn't, uh, you know, that one hurt. And, of course, the interception where Tony and Grimes bumped into each other and fell down, and Trask just threw the ball out there, got picked off, so led the points. But I think they just kind of stalled in the fourth quarter, and I thought it had more to do really with the situational uh, aspect of the game than anything Gators were doing bad offensively. They just didn't have the ball much. They couldn't find a rhythm. And South Carolina had the rhythm and did move the ball, but yet Florida didn't give up the big points that would have made the game closer uh, than the final score. So it was just one of those games where, uh, you know, we've seen Will Muschamp games in the past, Adam. It, it (laughs) It was indicative of some of the games we saw at Florida. He's a guy that coaches by the book. You know, they were losing, I think, by 21 at one point, and, you know, he kicks a field goal there and on fourth and two and, you know, just little things like that. Then that long drive in the fourth quarter, not really a hurry-up offense or anything. And they be, even if they had scored there, they ate so much time off the clock. They really didn't have much time to, to try to come back down one score. So it was just one of those odd games. I think my lasting impression is just I was glad it was over. Move on to Texas A&M. <laughs> It took a little bit. That fourth quarter seemed like lasted longer than the whole first half. So ready to get it over with and move on. Yeah, it wasn't too unfamiliar for those of us who remember some of the Muschamp games where uh, time management and knowing the score seemed to be uh, challenges. But uh, something else that stood out to me, and I know we talked about it last week, but I think it's worth hitting again. Um, Just what we're seeing right now, Everyone's talking about Kyle Pitts for obvious reason. It's looking like he's going to be maybe the highest tight end drafted, you know, ever if things keep going the way they are for him. But offensively, the guy I, I continue to think about is Kadarius Tony and just his evolution now into that full weapon that everyone always projected onto him. But up until the last couple games this season, we didn't know if he was going to really be able to to. To get to fruition. So I think, you know, again, he had six catches for 86 yards, had that long one where he, again, showed some some Percy Harvin-like ability. I think that's what we're starting to see from him. That's a big comparison to make, and it's been made for years without necessarily being deserved. Now I think we're starting to see that take shape. I think we're seeing him become a a complete player, Adam. Uh, And it's always been about first, can he stay healthy and can he stay on the field? And once he's on the field with the ball in his hands, there's nobody more dangerous on the team. So 
but he has added some, I guess, new wrinkles to his game. As we talked about before, I think getting down the field, catching the ball more, instead of just relying on his athletic ability, his shiftiness to, you know, catch the ball out of the backfield and just try to make a play that way. He's able to run crisper routes. He's caught the ball down the field. He's so hard to tackle. You just mm. see that consistently. I mean, he very, very rarely goes down on first contact. And that's what makes him so dangerous when he does have the ball in open space. And, uh, again, that's I, I, a good observation you make. I think it's one that's if, – if Kadarius Coney can do what he's done in the first two games consistently, uh, this Florida offense is has a chance to be, I mean, I think spectacular because Kyle Pitts is the real deal at tight end. Trayvon Grimes is the real deal at receiver. I think uh, the running game is going to be okay with Malik Davis and Damian Pierce. Uh, so if Kadarius Toney adds that big playability and can do it in different ways than we've seen, Dan Mullen will uh, he'll take that any night. You know, we had the chance to talk to to Trent Whittemore this week, and it sort of sort of illustrates the number of receivers whose names are getting called out. And what a strength that is for Florida, which I think is probably a surprise to a lot of people considering how much this team lost. I mean, you lose four seniors receivers to the NFL in in one cycle and then still have all of these weapons. I think it really speaks volumes to the way that Mullen and his staff have developed the the depth at that position. And, you know, that's not something we've seen in, in the past here before Mullen unless you go all the way back again to the Urban Meyer era. So that seems to be something that's really changed that I don't know that, that many fans expected to see happen so quickly. Yeah, that was a position of weakness for the Gators for a large part of the last decade. But Dan Mullen has come in and it started right away when he was able to add Trayvon Grimes and Van Jefferson uh, as transfers. And then they've recruited well in that position. Uh, and there's still names that we haven't even really seen on the field a lot like Jamarcus Wesson I think he may be the best of the group coming up but Trent Whittemore certainly introduced himself to Gator fans on a different level in the South Carolina win uh, and then Grimes Tony Pitts even though he's a tight end he could still play outside I mean those are all that's a talented group right there and then Xavier Henderson uh, so you can go on down the list and name them I just uh, I think that's definitely one of the strengths of this team and it's going to make Kyle Trask's job so much easier this year. But you're right, Adam. It's hard to lose four receivers who make NFL rosters and think that you're not going to miss a beat at that position. But through two games, I think the Gators, uh, the Gators can say that. They really haven't missed a beat at that position. And uh, if that, that continues this year, you're going to see some really big numbers from Kyle Trask. Mm-hmm. Not even to mention Justin Shorter, the transfer from Penn State. Jacob Copeland, a guy who is still just scratching the surface of what he could do. So I think there's a lot of potential for Florida at that position for sure. Uh, defensively, I know you mentioned you know when we started this conversation that maybe the perception was the defense uh, played poorly than they actually did. But going into to A&M, where is this unit right now in terms of some of the things they're looking to clean up? Because I think we, we still saw some of the things that were concerning against Ole Miss were also there against South Carolina. Where do those corrections need to happen, and what's the sense of, of where it's going to be? I think it starts up front. I think they're wanting to get some more pressure on opposing quarterbacks. I mean, Kellamon of uh, Texas A&M, he'll, he'll certainly provide a challenge. 
Uh, he can get outside and run as well as being a, a good drive-back passer. He's thrown for, what, over 500 yards and four touchdowns through the first two games for the Aggies. Uh, but I think it's Florida defense. You know, Ty Grantham said they cleaned up a lot in the middle of the field. They only gave up two plays of 20 or more yards against South Carolina, which was a big reduction from the Ole Miss game. When, I mean, I think they gave up 15 explosive plays in the Ole Miss game. Wow. So that kind of tells you how they tighten that area up. And obviously, South Carolina's offense is not going to be as dangerous as Ole Miss's. Uh, but still, yeah, that was a big improvement. Uh, I think for this defense to really play at the level it wants to, uh, it's got to put pressure on the quarterback. And that's guys like Britton Cox Jr., Jeremiah Moon, Ventrell Miller once in a while. Obviously, the middle of the interior line. Zach Carter, who got SEC defensive lineman of the week, had a nice game against South Carolina. But, you, you know, they're just looking for more flash plays out of those guys up front consistently. Uh, when you get those, your secondary is not under as much pressure. Uh, your linebackers can play more freely. Uh, and a lot of things work better on the whole unit. So I don't think there's any alarm there. Uh, they just want to tighten up. They're still going to do the same things they always do. They just hope to execute uh, better and make some bigger plays. Getting ready for Texas A&M, you know, it's interesting looking at the way Florida's schedule is sort of ascending here. Uh, Ole Miss, South Carolina, two teams that I think are, are likely to finish near the bottom of their respective divisions. A&M is, is, is a step up. I don't think they're going to be a team that's competing in the West, but should be probably the best that Florida has seen yet. Uh, what do you see when you look at A&M and, and expectations for this matchup? Yeah, I see this as the biggest challenge the Gators have faced this year so far. I think we're going to learn some about this team on Saturday. Uh, even though Texas A&M is coming off a game in which they got blown out at Alabama, uh, guess what? There's most teams, I think, <laughs> at this point, we yeah. get blown out at Alabama. So uh, they're going to have the home field advantage, although a reduced uh, home field advantage compared to what normally would be at Kyle Field. Uh, I do think, you know, if Florida can go out there and win, uh, I think it's a huge boost just for this team's confidence. And to do that, they're going to have to have some of the things that we've talked about so far in terms of, you know, big plays, having the receivers involved, probably making some uh, plays on the defense and pressuring Mons. So Jimbo Fisher is a very good offensive coach. He's had a lot of success against Florida in his career at Florida State. This is the first time he's faced the Gators as an SEC coach. Uh, so you know that uh, they're going to be fired up for the game, but so will Florida. And I, uh, I expect it to be a really good game, but I, uh, I think it's a great chance and a great opportunity for Florida to kind of to make a statement and say, you know what, uh, we can win games like this and we're going to be capable of winning these kind of games throughout 2020. Does it feel like a shootout kind of game? Is that the, the expectation, sort of what we saw against Ole Miss? I mean, it could turn into that. I think both teams have those that kind of offense. Uh, Dan Mullen said this week that Texas A&M has the best defensive front that they face by far so far this year. So I think they think that the Aggies have a better defense than the one that gave up 52 points at Alabama, obviously. Uh, but I won't be surprised if we're talking about a game in the 30s or 40s uh, has that kind of potential. But I also think you'll see A&M play better and Florida have to rise to the occasion at some key moments, you know, to, to go out there and win. You know, it's funny when you talk about going to Kyle Field, 
And people are like, oh, that's funny because Florida's all about the Kyles right now. Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts. <laughs> and you think, oh, maybe that's probably just a, a coincidence they have the same names. Um, but there is a story behind the name here that, that you could tell us about. Yeah, how about that? Kyle Trask was asked about just a question about his name. What was the story there? He said, well, you asked that question the, the perfect week uh, because <laughs> his parents both went to Texas A&M. They met wow. there and the big Aggies fans. So he said he's always been told that he's been named after Kyle Field, which is the home of the Aggies. So certainly a story that you're going to hear ESPN talk about on Saturday during the broadcast, one that you probably uh, have read about if you've been paying any attention this week to the game online. And it's a neat little subplot. And uh, Orlando Sentinel Edgar Thompson, the beat writer for them, had I guess he called his dad yesterday and, uh, got some video of Kyle at a quarterback camp at Texas A&M hmm. several years ago. You can tell Kyle, he looks to be about 16, 17. Uh, but it was, it was just a neat little flashback uh, from his past because he's, he's from Manville, Texas, which is outside of Houston. Uh, so he's, a, he's from the Lone Star State. All of his family, most of them went to Texas A&M. Uh, and he was raised to hate the Longhorns, he said. So he's definitely an Aggie, uh, but a cool, definitely a cool little story. And just another chapter of Kyle Trask's unlikely journey here at Florida, Adam. Yeah, uh, I think the only thing that's going to be disappointing for people is that the, the Kyle Field experience will not be what it normally is. And I've heard stories in the past about literally the press box shaking. And I, you, you were probably, you were there in 2012, so you probably know about that. And it's not going to be one of the best environments in college football like it normally would. So, you know, it's just it's interesting to see the way that that impacts games, having home field advantages in various places being significantly lessened. Yeah, my only time out there, Adam, was that 2012 game. The Gators went out there in the first game uh, in the SEC for Texas A&M and mm-hmm. Johnny Manziel. It was his freshman year. Uh, the Gators won that day, twenty to seventeen. But my lasting memory of that day is what you just said about that shaking press box because <laughs> I'd heard I'd heard the story, but until you're in there and that thing starts shaking and you're way high in the sky, you're thinking, huh. I don't know if I like this or not. Yeah, uh, is that safe? That doesn't sound very safe. I think I'd be yeah. very unsettled by that. Yeah, it wasn't my favorite uh, <laughs> press box moment. I do know that they they totally revamped the stadium right. since the Gators were last there, and I'm sure that it's it's beautiful. <laughs> and I, I know it's. I just remember that, and I remember looking across the field, and you see you know all those thousands of cadets all dressed out in their uniform. Mm-hmm. It was certainly one of the more uh, unique atmospheres that I've ever been to in college football. One I would recommend to anyone who really loves the game and the pageantry of the sport to try to take in one day. I would just say that 2020 is not your year to do that because it's going to be different, but it's still going to be, I don't know exactly how many they're going to have. They'll be loud rooting for their team, but if you're going to go to a Texas A&M and looking for a big road win, uh, I think the Gators are picking the right year. And, you know, while we're talking about that, I, I meant to bring this up earlier, but the swamp in 2020 I think after going to Ole Miss, you maybe had some expectations for what it might be like and how different it was. Mm-hmm. But what did it feel like being in the swamp this past weekend and having it be very unswamp-like in a number of ways? Yeah, it, it was just weird. I think that's the best way I can say it. It was just a different experience. Uh, I remember driving up and 
usually I, I get to the stadium anywhere from three to four hours before a game. Uh, this time I, I got there later because I just knew that it was going to be different. There was going to be a lot less traffic, a lot less stuff going on. And I mean, I, I was there a couple hours before kickoff, had no trouble parking. And, <laughs> and then I walked in from a little different area than normally. There were a few little pockets of, of fans out there, but nothing that we're accustomed to, obviously with no gator walk and mm-hmm. none of the North end zone lawn filled up with tents and festivities and it was just a kind of a a muted game day environment compared to normal Uh, again once the game started and once I started my daily routine up in the press box the football part of it felt pretty normal and you know I thought that I thought they really did a lot of credit should go to the the ticket office and the operations first I thought they made it really look good yeah they spread all the seats out I thought that that was to me one of the better settings that I've seen under these current circumstances. So I think, you know, the Florida deserves a lot of credit there for making it as good as it could be under the circumstances. And uh, I think most people who were there, they seem to be enjoying themselves uh, and glad to be back out of a football game. But obviously it was, it was a different kind of day. <laughs> yeah. And a tremendous amount of credit goes to, Obviously, the staff that, that made that happen. And also, it is worth noting, I mean, the fans, too. You know, you got to have yeah. cooperation for that to work. And there were a lot of games that I've seen the last couple of weeks where I was mortified by uh, the lack of safety and fans where you see a shot of the crowd and it looked like could be any other year, which is obviously yeah. not what you want to see. And uh, I think you give a lot of credit to the Gators and Gator fans for understanding that this is a different time and making the appropriate adjustments to make sure everyone is safe and able to enjoy the game as, as much as possible. Yeah, no doubt. And having a, you know worked at the UAA and been around for the last seven months during this whole pandemic, I can definitely vouch for the, the measures that have been taken internally and to make that atmosphere come off in a, in the circumstances we face. And uh, I just thought it was a really a good day uh, for the game day operations crew for what they were able to put together. Oh, uh, who's your favorite cardboard cutout? What, what, what gave you the most <laughs> joy seeing out in the stands? My favorite one. I mean, there was a lot of creative ones. I, you know, a lot of dogs, a lot of, uh, a lot of famous people. <laughs> Dude, I have a favorite, man. I, I don't know. I, I thought the one of Tom Brady was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Rob Gronkowski was there. Uh, Tom Petty obviously made mm-hmm. it. Uh, somebody told me J-Lo was there. I did not oh, see really? J-Lo. I didn't see J-Lo on TV. If, I, if I'd if i seen her, she may have been my favorite. So <laughs> I, I'll keep looking for her, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm my favorite, hands down, uh, Edward Ashoff over in the yes. UF band section. That was really, really cool. Um obviously very very sad and you know emotional just thinking about it but that was a really cool way to to pay tribute to him as well yeah i think i saw marty uh what marty smith's tweet Mm -hmm. of his uh of ed's cardboard cutout and ed was someone who uh i got to know when i first took this job he was still at the gainesville sun and i remember i'd see him and we'd chat and then I, i would see him once in a while when he came back to town with ESPN and just everything you've read about him, everything you've heard about him, it's spot on. He was just one of those guys that had a, a different kind of energy about him that when you saw him, man, he just lit up the room and uh, such a tragic 
loss uh, that we had with him last time last year around Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's certainly not forgotten at Florida. And there's a well, there's a scholarship in the journalism school. I think mm-hmm. in his honor. So there as a as a graduate of that school myself, I, I think that's pretty cool. I second that as well. Yes. Let's move on to our PAT now, and I want to talk about baseball. Uh, in terms, speaking of sports, where there are not fans, uh, it's been a very strange baseball season, and I'm actually shocked that it got to where it is, given the Marlins breakout in Week One and the way that started to have ripple effects. I think most people, myself included, believed baseball was only going to be a matter of time before they had to shut it down, uh, but they made it all the way through into their their now their bubble. I don't think it's quite like an NBA bubble, but it's a bubble of sorts. Uh, and our Atlanta Braves, beloved Atlanta Braves, actually playing in, Braves. in Houston, uh, essentially where Florida will be this weekend. So I, you can maybe go over there and uh, try and sneak in while you're while you're in the area. Um, but right. I, I want to talk about baseball playoffs because they've obviously done something really drastic this year under the circumstances, expanding the playoffs to 16 teams adding the three-game wild-card series that everybody has to play, uh, and then moving into the division series, the LCS, the World Series. Obviously, it's been good for the Braves so far, at least at the time that we're recording this. But I, I don't know that I like this format going forward. You are a hardcore old-school baseball guy. I'm curious if you think, are these changes they've made, are they here to stay? Should they be here to stay? And what would you do if you were calling the shots? I hope they're not here to stay. I mean, I'm not a particularly a fan of the current format. But again, I'm giving a lot of free passes to a lot of stuff in 2020, Adam, because, you know, everybody's trying to do the best that they can with the circumstances we all have. It's kind of like our conversation earlier about the swamp. I mean, was it the atmosphere that we, we wanted or uh, was it what we are accustomed to? No, but it's the it's the best that we could do right now. As I think that's what baseball is doing as well here. They're they're doing the best they can with what what the situation is. And hey, the Braves won a, a postseason series for the first time in 19 years, right? Yes, yeah, and that and they managed to win Game One for the first time yes. in 19 years. They had lost every first game. It just blew my mind that it had been 19 years because yeah. I mean, you so 2001. So I mean. That was their heyday at the end of the 90s when that mm-hmm. run was still continuing. And here we are, we're talking about they've won their first playoff series since. That's, that's mind-boggling. Uh, but it is it is what it is uh, in 2020. My ideal playoff scenario would be, like, I don't even like the one-game wild card thing. No, I don't like it like, either. Because, you know, baseball is such a different sport. If you're going to have teams in the postseason, at least give those teams a ref- an ability to reflect how good they are over the course of right. maybe three games or something, you know, two yeah. out of three or something. Uh, but of course, you know, you can't drag it on forever too. So uh, I just, I like it when I'd like to see the five game, you know, divisional playoff in the seven game championship series. I'd like to see a nine game world series like they used to do. Really? In the days. Yeah. I just think nine wow. games, nine games is really, it gives a little better chance for the best team to win. Still could go wrong for the the heavy favor, but there's been certain World Series over the years where you're like, you know, if they were played again like a two weeks later, the mm-hmm. other team would probably win. I think maybe nine games helps flatten that out a little bit, but that's just that's just the old baseball guy in me. But uh, you know, I uh, do enjoy the this postseason baseball. It's always been one of my two favorite 
times a year in sports. But I, I'm not quite into it as much this year because, again, I already know the Marlins are going to win. <laughs> so <laughs> I would go – I think the the idea of having 16 teams is crazy because you're yeah. really – you're totally devaluing a 162-game regular season. It's not consistent to have that. Uh, I think what we should do is keep the old format but make two changes. The wild card series should be a best-of-three series – so you have five you have five teams in the playoffs, your three division winners, your two wild cards. The two wild card teams play a best of three, then that filters into the division series, which I would make best of seven. I think that the Braves were burned too many times by lesser teams because of the five game format. I think you go seven game division series and then seven games, seven games for the LCS the World Series. Because that's the best way to tell who the who the better team truly is, reflective of that season. I think nine might take a little bit too long, but uh, I I I'm not against the idea of more games because in baseball I think it further it further bears out who actually is the best team. Which when you're playing that long a regular season, your playoffs should reflect what the season looks like. No, yeah, I totally agree with you there. Uh, I think we start letting half the teams in Major League Baseball into the playoffs. Why are you playing 162 games right. then? Uh, let's talk a, a little more football to wrap up here, Scott. Tell us what fans can look for this week coming up on FloydGators.com uh, and the coverage you'll, you'll have leading up to the game. Well, you know, we'll have a standard opening kickoff to preview the Texas A&M game. I'm writing about Brenton Cox Jr. Uh, in the, this week. Uh, you know, one of the newcomers uh, on the Gators defense who had to sit out last year from after transferring from Georgia. And uh, needless to say, he's... He's kind of excited about that Georgia game later on this season. So he's a guy that, you know, in part of our conversation earlier about getting pressure on the quarterback, he's at the top of that list of guys the Gators uh, are going to be depending on to do that. Well, I know you're going to be covering a lot of ground this weekend. You'll be on your way to Aggieland, so make sure to follow Scott at Gators Scott on Twitter and read all the content going up on FloridaGators.com. And uh, we look forward to talking about it next week. Right, thanks, Adam. In case you haven't noticed, there are a ton of former Gators making waves in Major League Baseball, especially on the mound. Former Gator Dane Dunning got the call every player dreams about earlier this year and began his big league career with the Chicago White Sox. Not only that, he was given the ball to start the decisive Game 3 in the Wild Card Series last week, which ultimately went the way of the Oakland A's. With his rookie season now in the books, Jeff Cardozo caught up with Dunning to talk about his ride from the bus to the bigs. I mean, it was a lot of fun this year, just being around the guys, being, I mean, I've got to be with them during summer camp and spring training and everything, but actually be with them during the season and learn what they, they know. It was, I mean, it was a lot of fun and very eye-opening. Well, and, you know, fun, I think, is, is a big word for you guys because you, you look at a majority of that team. I mean, there's, there's a lot of young dudes. You're like 25 years yeah. old, and there's a whole bunch of guys like that as well. So that had to be neat, at least, be, and make it probably more comfortable you, for you to get uh, the call up. Oh, definitely. I mean, a lot of these guys, I mean, even though they've already been up there, I mean, they are roughly around my age. And um, like I said, we've had multiple times where I've been during spring training with them and working out with them, especially over during the coronavirus, I was able to work out with a, a good group of them. So I already like knew them, was, was, was friends with them before this all happened. It wasn't like I was getting called up to a, a team that I didn't know, or it's like I knew only one person. I knew pretty much the entire team. 
So, so what was the, uh, the moment like, you know, I'm sure you, you probably expected it, knew that you were, you're hanging out kind of on the verge of, of getting there, but what was the, the call and, and then who was the, uh, your next call to, to, to say, Hey, I finally made it. My call up actually was supposed to be against the Cardinals, but they got, they postponed another game because of their whole coronavirus thing that they got hit with. Um, so I actually had to sit on it for a week. <laughs> uh, nerves were definitely high in that situation. Just, uh, especially building up to it the day before it was like, I mean, my nerves are at an all time high. I don't think I've ever been as more nervous, but then when the day come, things kind of started to calm down. I went to the field, just felt like a normal situation. But, um, my first calls were my family and my fiance. I mean, right at like right before and after them, I mean, I called them immediately. And obviously that, that had to be special. So, so you get to that moment and then all of a sudden you get in the game and, and boom, like the, the first, ball that you throw and the first one that swung it's it's a double off the wall you're like probably looking around holy cow this is what the big leagues is all about yeah <laughs> I, I wasn't too worried about that I um like once I got on the mound that first pitch was I mean I was pretty like like I said before I was pretty nervous and that first pitch I was just trying to like just try to keep calm and stay like just stay collected and then I threw a fastball right down the middle I hit it for a double and then once once that happened, I, I honestly think it helped me because all nerves just disappeared from my body. Everything just felt calm and normal again. And then it was just more of less like, a, like, here we go again, right back at it. But yeah, through that first pitch, the guy hit a double and I was like, man, the guy couldn't swing and miss or just take the first pitch. Like, it was definitely very nerve wracking. But like I said, once I, that first guy got that hit, all nerves went away and it was just right back to having fun. I mean, it's the same, same game that I played when I was at Florida, same game. I was playing when I was a kid, so I try to stay like in the moment, one pitch at a time, one batter at a time. And uh, I mean, I think that's definitely something I I learned at Florida. I mean, especially being younger when I was at Florida, the first two years, I kind of struggled a little bit. And I always would think about, I was always being in the back of my head about like people that got like, I would give up a hit, give up another one. And then in the back of my head, I'm like, I can't get up another hit instead of just letting it go and let's attack this next hitter. And I think that's definitely something I learned, I picked up at Florida, and um, it's definitely helped me out in the long run. When you look back on the Florida time and, and that organization, was it sort of run somewhat like a, a big league camp with some of the things that, that they did as coaches and trying to get you guys ready for the next level? Uh, definitely. I mean, the practices that we took every day were very similar. But, I mean, there's still, there's still separation between college and uh, professional level just for the fact of in a college schedule it's a shorter amount of game it's more of a sprint than a marathon and I guess that's the same with what happened this year for the MLB but usually it's a longer season so it's not as it's more of a marathon so it's like you, you drop a game or drop a game or two it's not as bad as if you would in college just because it's such a short sprint through college that every game matters and so um, I mean that's really the only difference is just in college, we have team meetings and everything right after the game. But in professional level, it's right after the game. Like, you can have a game or two that's bad, but we, we're not having team meetings right afterwards. Where it's just more or less of, um, like, all right, right back at it tomorrow. And uh, that's the only difference. But when it comes to practice, everything was the same. I mean, we took BP professionally. We took, in, like, in and out ground balls, everything the same. So then you go into the, uh, the, the Nats organization and, you know, you're not there that long. And then you are a big part with a couple of other guys and, you know, Eaton goes to uh, over there and they, they win a World Series. But now you guys have that young core that, that you're talking about and, you know, mm -hmm. get to be a part of something. So 
how, how, uh, how special has it been to at least now get into that organization and, and kind of see them groom you for, uh, for now this next step? One of the photos that I was able to take this year was actually uh, me, Lucas Chialito, and Renato Lopez, the three of us that got traded. Just because we all came over together as one, and now we're a good role, a good part of the Chicago White Sox rotation. Special. And then you mentioned you Brady. You got to you got to face him too. How was how was that day? A little little smack talking before uh, going back and forth before that outing. No, I texted him afterwards. I mean, he he's got electric stuff, and he's. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Florida and stuff was amazing. But now he's actually put on some size. I mean, he was a freshman when I was a junior, so he was still learning. He was still learning things. But now that that I've seen him now. I, I remember Brady is, you know, 170 pounds, 160 or 175 pounds. And now he's like, looks like he's 205, 210. And he's got some, some meat on him bones now. And um, going up against him and playing with him, he, I mean, he, he was out there attacking the, attacking the zone and he was pounding the zone. I mean, it was awesome to see just, just from a developmental side where I've seen him, you know, I've seen some rough outings when he was a freshman at Florida to now where it's like he's starting in the big leagues and it's more mature and more, like he's more dominant now. It was really cool to see, but I talked to him afterwards and I was like, dude, you got, you know, amazing stuff, electric stuff. Like keep at it. Well, and he could probably say the, the same thing for you. And I'm looking forward to, to battles in the, the American league for, for many, many years. Yeah, yeah. And what's, what's that been like for you? Because I think we knew you had some pretty special stuff when, when we got to see you here at Florida, but now you, you turn on the TV and I mean, you're pumping 96, the, the breaking ball's nasty, the, the change-up's really working. So how much have you worked on stuff uh, over the last couple of years and then, you know, having to go through the, the Tommy John 2 and, and that road to recovery? Hardest part, obviously, was the Tommy John. Just going through surgery, just not, not knowing what my future holds. Uh, that was the big – that was definitely the hardest point in my career. Um, there was lots of ups and downs, and uh, it's definitely a roller coaster of a journey going through that. One day your arm hurts, one day it feels good. Even when it's, you know, it's fully healthy, and there's always, it's always in the back of your head. Uh, getting through that, though, was really tough, but it honestly was probably one of the better things that would happen to me just for the fact of I was able to work on a lot of stuff during that Tommy John time that, but now I was able to incorporate because I, I, I brought back my curveball. Since I brought that back, I never had anything to tunnel off that. So that's everything when I pitch is all based off tunneling. I try to make everything tunnel very well. So like my two seam and slider and change up all tunnels very well, but then I have this curveball that will start up at a higher level and break down. Now that it looks different, it doesn't look the same. And so this whole coronavirus and whole um, Tommy John rehab, I really worked and focused on getting a, a nice true forcing that has nice like carry and ride. I wouldn't say it's the greatest, but it does its job. And so since I like worked on that, it's been more effective, especially with my curveball and especially facing lefties. I'm able to ride some four seams up and in and uh, just up in the zone where it's where I'm getting swings underneath it. That's opened up a lot of room from the strike zone for me. Just a lot of different areas that I can attack at. So doing that definitely helped me out a lot. Has there been a, a hitter yet that when, when you're standing up on the mound and you hear the PA guy say, okay, now come to the plate, so-and-so, you're like, oh, crap, like I'm, I'm about to face this guy. I know uh, Cabrera almost took your head off with a line drive earlier this yeah, year. Yeah, so. he tried to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got some good ones that um, you faced. But really, when I was standing on the mound, like not really many names popped out except for like, like the guys that have been there. Like Miggy is going to be a Hall of Famer. When he steps in the box, I mean, it was definitely like, all right, I, I need to get him out. Like, I, I got to execute my pitches. It was kind of like an oh, crap. Not an oh, crap, but it was like a, 
I'm pitching against Miggy. This is awesome. And then uh, same, same thing with Nelson Cruz. I mean, Nelson Cruz is 40 and still batting 340. Yeah. Like, unreal numbers. And I'm like, this is someone I can't, I can't leave, I can't hang a pitch. I got to execute my pitches. And I mean, th- those were really the, I mean, the main two that I was kind of like, oh my gosh, like, like, I mean, I, I watched you when I was a child, and now I'm playing against you. This is, like, one of the coolest experiences ever. I mean, same thing with Josh Donaldson. I remember being in high school and college watching him in the playoffs. Now I'm playing baseball against him. It's such a cool and crazy experience. But, yeah, I mean, those those guys were really the only ones where I was like, like, wow, like, this is awesome. Well, and it had to be awesome, too, to, uh, to be in the playoffs this year. You guys, as an organization, it's been – you know, really a long time and all those young dudes that you're talking about kind of coming together. So just to, to get to that point and knowing what the future is going to be like, um, I mean, you started a playoff game this year and you just got called up. So that's just uh, unreal. Yeah, I mean, that experience in general was extremely fun, extremely knowledgeable is more or less the best term about it. But it was, you know, it was a great experience to have just seeing what it's like in playoffs and being able to start a game in playoffs. I mean, that was awesome. I mean, unfortunately, it was all hands on deck that game and I didn't get the the, as long as a start I wanted. But I mean, it was still a great experience for for the entire team. I mean, like you said, we have a bunch of young talent coming through this team. The, this organization has been rebuilding for a couple of years. And now we're at the point now where it's like, all right, we're starting to put things together. And this is where all the excitement and fun comes down. So now, I mean, you're, you're ugly mugs on a baseball card. What the heck is that like? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, every spring training, I feel like like we always go out and there's there's fans there getting autographs. And I feel like every year they come out with a new card and I'm like, they're like, they're like trying to get me to sign this card. And I'm like, I haven't seen this yet. Like, <laughs> let me take a look at this. And uh, I mean, it's, I'm truly grateful that I've been able to go with Tops and a couple like with a different company as well. Um, just to have like some baseball cards and everything. It's a it's definitely an unbelievable experience considering that growing up, I used to collect baseball cards all the time. And uh, now that I have my own sets, I think I probably, my parents collect probably more of mine than any, any else, but no, it's really cool. It's really, it's definitely awesome. Just having my own card. I, it's unbelievable to me. And, and I know you got a little bit of that at Florida. You guys did a great job of signing autographs, especially on Sundays after games for, for all the kids and, and different things. But, but now knowing that and, no one when a you know a ten year old walks up to you and says, "Hey Dane" or "Hey Mr. Dunning," and they're asking for you for your mm-hmm. autograph. It's got it's got to be a nut, nutty feeling. Oh yeah, I mean that's honestly where it gets like the most satisfying feeling is when a bunch of kids are asking for autographs and everything. And we have a really good setup at our spring training complex. We have to walk through this tunnel where a bunch of fans are at. And so I'm able to walk by, like walk in every time and all these kids are able to like line up and I'm able to give autographs and signatures. Like knowing these kids know my name is honestly probably one of the coolest experiences. Um, like just getting my name called from all these children and um, who knows one of these days I could be playing against them. And that's what I hope for. But I remember going to a couple games here in Jacksonville in the minor league the minor league stadium and trying to get everybody's autograph then and now it's like the role has been reversed and I think that's awesome it certainly is um where did uh 51 come from did you get to pick that does it have any meaning or is that just what they gave you I got to the field my first on my debut and 51 was in my locker and I was like oh all right I mean that was an extremely like satisfying feelings when I sat in the locker room and unpacked my bag uh just knowing that I was you know, pitching that game and, and that I was there. Um, I mean, words can't describe how, like, how my feelings were that day. It was just, I mean, it's unbelievable experience. 
my brother, when he made his debut, he was number 51 as well. So I thought that was actually really cool. And as of right now, I'm planning on keeping this number. So now you, you've done it. You, you've got, a, got some time up in the show and certainly looking forward to, to many more years to come. What's the offseason going to be like? Are you going to be hanging out in Florida for as long as you can now that it's going to be freezing up there in Chicago? Yeah, I don't plan on going to Chicago during the winter. Uh, I don't know how I do in the cold. But, um, but no, uh, right now I'm with my parents. I'm at their house visiting and everything. And um, I think me and my fiance, might, we might go down to uh, Fort Lauderdale to work out with Sean and um, Zach Collins and everything. They have a nice uh, workout facility there. So I might go down there and work out with uh, Sean Anderson and, and everything. But um, right now, the offseason, for for at least for this first month, is just to be a lot of golf and uh, relaxing. I mean, that's the, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, is is that fun? Like to be in the off season now, you get to be with the guys and just play golf, goof around, just to enjoy things, and uh, I'm sure talk a lot of smack when you get to go out there and just just have fun. Oh, definitely. I mean, golf in general, just to me is it's like my getaway a little bit, which is funny because golf is one of the most frustrating sports ever. Mm-hmm. You can, I mean, you can have a great day, but then three holes later, like blow up, and next you know it's like the worst round of golf ever. But um. But no, it's it's like my getaway, like from baseball and from everything. It's just I go play golf, and it's like I'm just out there having fun with the guys and everything. And well, one, I love the sport, and it's like you said, like I said earlier, it's really hard. But no, it's my getaway, and it's it's something I like to do to have fun in the my off time. Well, if you uh, if you get get some time off to uh, to come over to Gainesville, I'll slap you around. This old dude can uh, still hit it. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. probably would. You <laughs> probably would. My, my handicap's going down, but it's still, it's still up there. I'm going to ask you a, a few questions of maybe some stuff you and the fiancé and the family did during the, uh, the quarantine. So did you find a, a new favorite TV show out there that uh, you can recommend to everybody? There's actually been a couple TV shows that I've watched through coronavirus and everything. Uh, Peaky Blinders is a great TV show. I think there's like five seasons or four seasons of that. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. And then um, we actually just started this yesterday, but my dad started this. It's what they call the boys or something like that. It's on uh, Amazon, but it's a little gory. There's a little bit of nudity and all that. So we'll be prepared. But um, it's, I mean, it's a wonderful TV show so far. And then uh, I would rather say is the Witcher. I, I was a big fan of the Witcher series of, as a video game. And then it started off as a book, but then it became a video game. I was a huge fan of that. And now it's a Netflix TV show. Movie-wise, any movies that you saw quarantine that uh, you really enjoyed? Usually a huge movie fan. I'm a huge fan of, like, the, the Marvel movies during coronavirus. I, I went and rewatched a bunch of them during that. I mean, any Marvel movies, Star Wars, Harry Potter, I'm a huge fan. Just a couple action movies, like um, like American Assassin was really good. I'm trying to think of some other movies. I have a bunch of movies on my computer, but really just action movies so um, i've always been interested in action or comedies and um i mean that's about it whatever kind of the main big movies that come out i usually end up watching those this is interesting and and i know that there's some stuff out there of how good of a cook you all of a sudden have have become you know i'm i I make a mean hamburger helper but you know I, i saw that you're making steaks and mushrooms and and all these great things like where the heck did the cooking come from Definitely not college. I can tell you that for sure. I think I was on the ramen noodle diet. When I had my Tommy Don like surgery during that whole time, there wasn't much I was able to do. I couldn't go out hiking. I couldn't go out play golf. I couldn't do a bunch of things. So really the only things I was able to do was in-house 
so I started picking up cooking. Like I, I love food. I love trying new foods. I love, I just love food in general. I love to eat. So I was like, might as well just start learning some recipes and trying to learn how to cook and all that. And I always watched like TV shows of like cooking shows that, that were on. So I started actually paying attention to what these people do. And I started watching a couple of YouTube videos during that time, just of techniques and strategies and all that. And just kind of went trial by error, like with my cooking, I just started cooking a bunch and doing it. It's now it became a little hobby of mine now. So uh, I plan on keeping on cooking some good meals, but hopefully I can learn, learn new recipes. And one of these days I want to take like a, an actual like cooking class and um, learn some like real like techniques where someone can actually show me instead of me just trying to look at a video and go, I think he's doing this and try it. But no, it definitely came from when I came back from surgery, I, um, it definitely sprouted from there. And then from now it's just, I try to cook as much as I can. Obviously during the season, I've been in a hotel for the most part, so I haven't been able to cook, but I try to cook as much as I can. Well, since you're such a great cook, you have to uh, tell us at least what the most ambitious meal is that you try to attempt at home. I haven't gone to the point where I'm cooking these elaborate meals yet, but I, um, I cooked a kind of like a buffalo chicken pasta, but I made everything from scratch from the like the pasta. Like I made like kind of like a fettuccine type noodle. I made all that from scratch. That took me probably like an hour and a half to, to make just kneading and um, creating the dough and everything. And then fry, I actually fried the buffalo chicken and the buffalo chicken was delicious. So it was probably my first time actually frying it in house. Like I said, I'm just starting off during these cooking lessons and uh, not lessons, but these co- like my, like my cooking career, I should say. But that was probably the most like elaborate one I did was just making pasta from scratch. I thought that was really cool just because I'm, I've always just done pasta out of the box where you just throw it in water and it's ready. But uh, actually make it from scratch, I mean, to me, it tasted way better and just knowing that I cooked it was awesome. Well, either way, it puts my uh, my hamburger helper to shame. So uh, good job with that. <laughs> hey, you can't go wrong with hamburger helper. And then the, uh, the last one, if you uh, had to be stuck with one teammate during uh, quarantine lockdown, you couldn't go out, couldn't do anything. Who's that guy you're, uh, you're hanging out with to enjoy the time? At Florida, it's definitely be Sean Anderson. I mean, just get me and him a ping pong table and we'll be fine for the next year or so. <laughs> No, I mean, we were in together. We've always been like really good friends, especially throughout Florida. And I mean, it definitely would be him. And then Chicago White Sox teammate. I mean, I would have to say one of my, one of my best friends is, I mean, he's on the minor league side right now. He hasn't been called up yet. Just, we went through surgery together, but AJ Puckett's probably, um, he's probably the guy I would say. I mean, he's, you know, awesome guy. He, he actually went to Pepperdine. We actually ended up playing summer ball together one year in Cape Cod like it's funny because now we're teammates and everything but uh no he's uh he'd probably be the guy I would pick well Gator fans the last time you saw this guy in a Gator uniform he was uh, elite as well Dane that that junior season you threw uh 15 innings in the postseason gave up just one run so that was a that was a special way to uh, go out and I'm sure something you remember I want to say the one run was unfortunately against the worst team ever I think it was against FSU the first day but no I mean that was that postseason was just a lot of fun in general. Just, um, just the entire staff that we had going, like going through that that year, and I mean, it was it was fun. Fido was putting some good starts together. Logan Shore was almost dominant as always. I mean, Puck is, just makes hitters look like little leaguers. I mean, he's so freakishly tall. But I mean, I mean, that staff was electric. 
Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of great memories, Dane. I'm sure, and uh, a lot of Gator fans now had to uh, buy a White Sox hat. I'm I'm running out of hats. My my catcher in college was David Ross, so he's up there in Chicago. So now I've got two different Chicago guys I've got to uh, root for. But we're certainly doing that from yeah. afar. Yeah, when we played the Cubs, I wanted to go and talk to I wanted to talk to David Ross just to say like hi to him. I've never actually met him, but obviously I've seen him. Like talk about the Gators, and obviously he went to Florida, so I wanted to say I don't, but I didn't get the opportunity. Plus, uh, they kind of put the smackdown on us those in that three game series, so I didn't, I didn't feel like it was the right time to be able to go and say hi to him. So maybe next year. Sure. Well, we we thank you for uh, for saying hi to us, spending the time. Uh, really enjoyable. I know uh, a lot of people are following you for sure and uh, rooting you on the best. Keep uh, keep getting more and more baseball cards. Keep getting more and more outs, and uh, we'll, we'll keep supporting you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Florida and Texas A&M will square off on Saturday at noon Eastern time on ESPN and the Gator Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. And we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Stay safe and go Gators.